0: All right, good morning, guys. Great to have you here. It's uh, almost a new year, and like I said during announcements, I think we have this tendency to reflect during this time of year and look back, and then we begin to look forward, and we feel this sort of pressure to make New Year's resolutions. And I think that it starts to, as Christians, confuse us about our identity and what the gospel is. And so I find it helpful this time of year to go back to the basics. And so we're talking about the basics of the gospel and God's grace and what it means to be in relationship with Jesus this morning. So I was uh, thinking about giving gifts when I was eight years old over Christmas a little bit. Do you ever remember doing this? Maybe you didn't do this exact thing, but I remember pretty much every year I would kind of find out what my dad wanted for Christmas. And so usually it was a tie. Right? He set the bar pretty low. And um, and I would find out what he wanted, and this is how I went about getting my dad a tie. I would say, Hey dad, can I have $20? <laughs> and my dad would give me $20. And then I would say, Dad, can I have a ride to the mall? And then he would give me a ride to the mall. And then while we're at the mall, I'd want some like little pretzel bites from Annie Ann's or something like that. And so I would ask my dad for that and then he would get me those. And then we would go to the store and I would say, which tie do you want, dad? And he would say, I want that tie. And I would say, okay. And then I would take the $20 and I would buy him the tie. And then I would go home and I would say, dad, where is the wrapping paper? And my dad would say, here's the wrapping paper. And then I would say, can I have some tape? He'd say, yes, you can have some tape, and I need a little box to put it in. Can I have one of those? Yes, you can have a little box to put it on. And then I would wrap up the tie and give my dad his Christmas gift. And here was the amazing thing. Every year, my dad would open up the present, and he would say, thank you, Drew. This is just what I wanted for Christmas. And I would feel this sense of like, I gave my dad a gift, and he loves it. And he's so thankful for it. Now, there's a totally different way that I could have gone about giving my dad a tie at eight years old, right? I could have found out my dad wanted a tie. And instead of going through the progression that I just described, I could have taken on my dad's desire for a tie as a burden to myself. And I could have decided that I was going to earn it. And so I could have like maybe started my own little business and scooped some snow off some driveways. And then somehow I could have tried to get to the mall and I definitely wouldn't have gotten any pretzels because I wouldn't have had any money for that. And essentially, for the exact same result, I could have worked super hard and gotten a thank you at the end. And yet, the thank you at the end would have been a thank you of pride on my part rather than a thank you of actually gratefulness to my dad, right? So so basically what we find in the Bible is we, we find these two different ways of trying to go about the Christian life. And I think that New Year's resolutions are sort of a threat to the true, pure Christian life of just receiving from God actually what he asks for from us. God wants to provide for you what you are trying to give to him. So here's basically the big idea that ties us together as we look at John 15. It's that Jesus wants to give you what you could never earn. Jesus wants us to get off the treadmill. He wants us to stop trying to earn his favor. He wants us to stop trying to do his commands in our own strength. And he wants us to abide. That's a word we're gonna see over and over again. He wants us to learn to abide in him. So we're looking at John 15, verses one through 17. I'm just gonna read the entire passage so we can get kind of the scope of what Jesus is talking about. He says this, John 15, verses one through 17. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear, bear more fruit. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is God's word. Okay, so essentially what we're gonna do is we're gonna go through this passage and we're gonna look at three truths that we, we need to remember so that we will receive and stop trying to earn God's blessing. Three truths we need to remember to stop trying to earn God's blessing. We need to remember the true source of life, the deadness of self-effort, and the fruit of abiding. The true source of life, the deadness of self-effort, and the fruit of abiding. So let's just take those one at a time. The true source of life. So right off in this passage in John 15:1, sort of the first half, Jesus makes the statement, and he says, I am the true vine. Now, if you read through the Gospel of John, you'll notice that up until this point, Jesus makes a lot of I am statements. In fact, this is the seventh of the I am statements. So he's already, up to this point, said that he is the bread of life, that he is the light of the world, that he's the resurrection and the life. We just sang one. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And there's a few others that I can't remember on the spot right now. But he says that he is the source of life. And so he's kind of taking this from all these different angles to try to help us understand that he is what our hearts are most deeply longing for. Now, with this specific one, when Jesus comes to the table and he says that he is the true vine, this one's absolutely loaded. Because if you read through the Old Testament, you'll see that the nation of Israel was called to be the vine. But what you'll notice, especially in like Psalm 80 and Isaiah 5, is that Israel failed to be the true vine. Over and over again, They were told that they were blessed in order to be a blessing to other people. They were to keep God's commandments, walk in his rules, follow his laws in order that they would be a blessing to the people around them. And in so doing, they would be like a vine. They would bring life through love in their relationships with the other nations around them. And they absolutely failed to do this. And so when Jesus says this, he's telling us something true, but it's also a lens by which we can interpret the entire Old Testament. Jesus says, I am the true vine. In other words, he's contrasting himself with Israel. It's not so much that he's contrasting truth from error here. He's actually contrasting true With pretend. So, this is how Jesus reads the Old Testament. He says, Israel was the pretend vine. In other words, Israel was meant to illustrate the inadequacy of human beings to provide life for themselves. The purpose of the nation of Israel was to point us toward the true source of life, to show us that human effort could never give us the life that Jesus offers us. You know, there's lots of things actually today that we also try to depend on as the true vine that end up coming empty for us over and over again. The Bible characterizes these things as idols, And so what we do is we put pressure on the things of this world to be for us what they could never be. But did you know that the purpose of the things of this world is not that they would satisfy us, that they would point us forward to Christ? And this is the point that the Bible makes over and over again. Let me give you three examples of this just to illustrate it. Okay, the first one is relationships. Okay, so the deepest human relationship that you can possibly think of is marriage. And sometimes we have this idea that if we had a better marriage or if we got married in the first place, that that would satisfy us. But this is what the Bible says about marriage in a really famous passage in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So that's talking about what marriage is in a biblical sense. Man and woman coming together, they're married The Bible calls them one flesh. And then this is really curious. It says, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. In other words, what the Apostle Paul says in that passage is the deepest possible human relationship is not meant to satisfy you. It's not the true vine. The deepest possible human relationship is an illustration of, Of what it's like to have a deep relationship with Jesus. You see, human relationships can never hold the weight of your heart. If you put the pressure on any person, a friend, or a romantic relationship to be everything for you, you'll crush them and it'll end up leaving you empty. It's because human relationships are a pretend vine. Jesus is the only perfect husband who can satisfy every desire of your heart. Let me give you another example of something that we go after that we think is the true vine is power, right? We pursue power. We're like, oh, if I could just climb the corporate ladder, if I could just have more influence or more control, then I would be satisfied. 2 Timothy 2.12 says this, if we endure we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Now that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? That we will reign with him. It's talking about this future moment when we will reign with Christ. The Bible says that we are co-heirs with Christ. In other words, everything that Jesus has one day as Christians, he will give to us. But we begin to think that if we were in power, now, if we just had a little bit more power, a little bit more control over our lives, then that is what would make us happy. But our illusion of power is a pretend vine. It can never satisfy us. It can never bring us what we're looking for it to give us. Only Jesus can give us the power and the control that we were made to have because he's the true vine. He's the true source of life. He meets the desires of our hearts. No job or no amount of control can ever satisfy that craving to literally rule over the universe with Jesus. Let me give you one more example. This is one we run to a lot. It's money. Right? Money can offer us security. It can offer us... Satisfaction, If we could buy what we wanted, then would we, be, we would be happy. If I had this much money in my bank account, then I could finally rest, and I would be secure. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 13:44. "The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field." See this is what Jesus says. The purpose of money is to be an illustration of what the kingdom of heaven is like. Money is meant to, meant to point you beyond your money to somebody who has infinite resources, to somebody who can satisfy all of your longings for security and satisfaction. You see, your longing for money will never be satisfied by money. Whoever has money never has enough money. That's what the book of Proverbs says. But what you're really longing for is the kingdom of heaven. You're longing for a place where what you have can never be lost. So here's what we do. We look at these things around us and we put too much pressure on them. Now this list could go on and on and on. And we think that the pretend vine is is the true vine. And so we become dissatisfied. Now we actually see an example of this in a surprising place, and I'm taking a little bit of a risk by using this as an illustration. But you guys remember the movie Zoolander? Okay, I'm dating myself a little bit on this. But you remember in Zoolander, there's this scene where uh, Mugatu has made this model of the, the center for children who can't read good. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Some of you are, are missing me on this, but it'll make sense. So there's this model of this center that has been made. And Derek Zoolander, the main character, sees this model and he says, what is this? A center for ants? How can we expect it to ch- teach children to learn how to read if they can't even fit inside the building? And so he gets confused because he thinks that the model is the actual building, Right? And I think that's what we do with our idols, right? That's what we do with relationships. That's what we do with money. That's what we do with power. We think, wait, this is, this is for ants. This isn't for me. And, and Jesus is like, that's the whole point. It's pretend. It's never meant to satisfy the desire of your heart. The true vine the place where your heart will actually be satisfied is only and forever in Jesus. He's the only one who can meet the desires of your heart. Okay, so what do we tend to run to instead of running to the true vine and why? Okay, and the answer I think comes in the form of self-effort, okay? We actually begin to try to earn what Jesus wants to give us for free, which is Himself. And so, secondly, we're going to look at the deadness of self effort. Okay. Verse, uh, John 15, verse 8, Jesus said this By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So, in this passage, we see the pattern that Jesus wants to see in our lives. In other words, he says first that he wants us to be proven to be his disciples. In other words, he doesn't want us to earn his love. Our good works are not meant to earn God's love. They are proof that we are loved. So the first thing that's sort of implicit in this passage is that Jesus wants us to just receive God's love as a free gift. To know that we're his disciples, that we're his followers, and even more intimately than that, that we are children of God. And then as we know that we're children of God, we don't just go out and do a bunch of good things, but the character of God actually begins to be organically produced in our lives. And this is called fruit. We'll talk about this a little later, but the fruit is laid out in Ephesians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Our inner character actually begins to be transformed. And in this way, we produce what is pleasing to God, and so we bring honor and glory to Him. That is the way that life Is supposed to work. But life only works that way when we give up on our self effort and we begin to learn to abide in Jesus. But over and over again in the passage that I read at the beginning, Jesus describes us as branches. And he describes what happens when a branch gets disconnected from the vine. The branch Cannot produce any fruit. Unless a branch is connected to a vine, it can't make any grapes. And so here's what happens when we disconnect ourselves from the life of Jesus and we try to find our life in idols, in other things that can never satisfy us. Receiving God's love is replaced by trying to earn God's love. We try to clean ourselves up. We try to make ourselves look good so that God and other people will finally accept us. So we begin to struggle with the approval of other people. We trade in bearing fruit for the hypocrisy of doing good works. So instead of this organic love for Jesus and for other people sort of happening in our lives and coming out in a very normal way, we put on a face. We try to do good things without there actually being a heart change. And the bottom line reason for this is that we are seeking our own glory instead of the glory of God. I think the fundamental reason that we refuse to abide in Jesus and find our life in him is we would rather kill ourselves to do good works as long as we get the credit for it than receive from Jesus, his love, and give him the praise for it. In the process of prepping the sermon, I came across this article that I had read a long time ago. This kind of jogged my memory on it. But the article was um, about this girl who just had kind of a designer life. She went to Penn, she was a soccer player, she got a 3.5 GPA her first semester there. Beautiful girl. Kind of had the perfect Instagram account and, and all that. And she went to a drugstore, bought a bunch of gifts for her, for her family, went to the top of a parking garage, left all the gifts there, and jumped off to her death. And the whole family's like, what in the world happened? And the whole school was like, what in the world happened? And then subsequently, the whole nation was like, what is going on? And so there's a book that recently came out about her, but, but more generally, it was about this problem, specifically at Ivy League schools, of students who have a very put-together image committing suicide. And I came across this, this term, actually, that they use specifically at Stanford, and it's called duck syndrome, It's just this widely known thing on the campus at Stanford. And the reason it's called duck syndrome is the goal, people say, at Stanford, is to look like you're putting no effort in. Like you're this chill California person, like a duck on top of the water. But everybody knows that underneath the water, your feet are kicking feverishly, right? So you can picture that like this is duck. You're like, man, this looks like he's kind of out. Out just floating on top of the water. But then you do like the camera below the water. So, right? And so I did a little investigation into this. And I went on a Stanford student newspaper website. And I said, okay, what's this whole duck syndrome thing? Like are people writing articles about it? And sure enough, there's like four or five articles about it. But this one student had this really perceptive point about why duck syndrome. Why is everyone trying to trick each other into thinking that they have it all together when everybody knows they're pulling all-nighters and literally sometimes killing themselves to keep up this image. And this was the the name um, of this article. It was the glorification of being busy. And this was the conclusion of this article. This girl who was writing the article said, The reason that we're doing this this to ourselves, sometimes literally killing ourselves, is for the pride of being seen as a hard worker. You see, your pride will drive you to absolute despair in the end. You will be like a branch that is laying on the ground. No leaves, no fruit, no company. This is what Jesus is trying to save us from this year. He wants us to get off of this deadly treadmill of trying to project this image of success when inside we are dying. He wants us to learn to stop trying and to start abiding. You see, from the beginning, Jesus did not create us to be independent. We were made to walk in the garden with God. So the last thing we're going to look at in this passage is the fruit of abiding. Okay, the first question we need to ask, though, as we talk about the fruit of of abiding is what are we talking about? Like, it seems like sort of this mystical thing, like this word abiding. What does it mean to abide? Does it mean some warm, fuzzy feeling? What does it look like to abide? Jesus gives us some pretty clear answers to that in this passage about what it would look like for us to be connected to him as a branch is connected to a vine. John 15, verse seven said this. If you abide in me, And my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Okay, so there's two things that Jesus is talking about in this passage. He's talking about the spiritual disciplines that have been practiced by thousands of years by Christians of meditation and prayer. Okay, we often talk about getting into God's word, but what Jesus is talking about in this passage, is God's word getting into you. He wants us to be so saturated in this book, to so know it, to so study it, to so memorize it, that it actually begins to dwell in us. It begins to be where our minds go when we don't have anything else to think about. See, my hope for you is not that you would just do your Bible reading plan this year and just check the boxes. My hope for you is that you would come to the Bible thirsty. That you would come the way you come to a delicious plate of food ready to eat, ready for the word of God to dwell in you richly. That it would begin to transform your life and that you would actually not come to the Bible as a duty, but that you would taste and see that the Lord is good. And then in so doing, you would actually begin to want to come to the word. And then what happens is As we meditate on the scripture, and this takes time, this is a long process. I love this image of abiding because you think of the seasons of a tree, right? There's seasons, like right now in Minnesota, where nothing green is on a tree and there's no fruit anywhere. And there's seasons like that for us. There are seasons of dryness and deadness. Maybe you're in one of those seasons. I don't want to discourage you. But the other thing that Jesus talks about here, in addition to meditation, he almost baits us with this, right? He's like, ask God anything you want, and he'll give it to you. Now, the condition of that, right, is that we abide in his word. So our minds are actually transformed, and we're not just asking him, like, I want a Lamborghini, But we're asking him, like, I want to be changed into your image. I want you to do something spectacular in my life. I want you to change me from the inside out. I want to start bearing the fruit of the Spirit. That you begin to actually desire for yourself what God wants for you. And he says, if you read the word and you see something in here, here's here's the mindset change. Jesus is saying, don't come and see a commandment of God and get discouraged and say, I could never do that. Instead, when you see a commandment of God that seems impossible, ask God that that would be true in your life. And this is what he says. I'll give it to you. Are you struggling with pride? Or are you struggling with lust? Are you struggling with anger? Are you struggling with one of those idolatries, putting too much weight on your relationships or your money or longing for power? And you know that that's not Christ-like. Don't allow Those commands to condemn you. Take those commands to God and say, God, you commanded this of me. I can't do it. Would you make this true in my life? Ask anything. You know, Jesus wants you to change more than you could ever want yourself to change. It's the beautiful thing. So, those are the first two things meditation and prayer. Two sides of one of the coins of abiding. Here's the next thing that we must do in order to abide. John 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So okay, this is nice, right? we got meditation, we've got prayer, but here's the other thing. We need to be doers of the word and not hearers only. One of the primary ways that we can abide In other words, experience God's love is through obedience. Maybe you're looking back at this year and there's some regret and there's sort of this block in your relationship with God and you know that there's something that God has asked you to start doing that you have refused to do or something that he's asked you to stop doing that you keep clinging on to. And in order to abide, it's not about more prayer, it's not about more scripture. In fact, you're just kind of using that as a defense, right? You're trying to use that to keep God at a distance from you. Jesus says, you want to abide, you have to learn to obey, to submit, to do what God is asking you to do. And here's my encouragement to you. Start with the hardest thing. Start with that thing that he's been bugging you about for a long time. Maybe it's a confession of sin. Maybe it's to share Christ with a coworker. Maybe it's dealing with something with your spouse or in your family, something that nobody knows about. We gotta deal with it. We gotta come face to face with the word of God and we gotta stop making excuses and we just gotta say, you know what? I need to obey. we got to see that God's commandments are not to load us down with burdens, but they're actually for our good. Okay, here's the last thing that is true if we are going to abide. This one's not very fun, I'm going to be honest with you. John 15, verse 2. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. This isn't really something that we do. It's more something that's done to us. You think of like the tools that you use to prune, and you think about like putting your finger in one of those tools and having somebody like snap it closed. Like that hurts really bad. Here's what's true it really hurts to be in a relationship with God. It does. He's perfect. And he will not stop until you are too. Because he loves you too much to let you stay where you're at. Which means those little things that you make excuses about that you would let go in other people, God will not let go. He loves you too much And so you have to understand this. He's not punishing you. He loves you. But he's going to prune you this year. And his discipline of you is proof that you are his disciple, not evidence that you're not. You know, you talk to non Christians, they're not bothered about their sin. They don't even notice it, they don't even call it sin. I met with countless college students over the years that they become a Christian and all of a sudden they're like, I am a horrible person. They thought they were pretty good before they became a Christian. It's because God begins to prune. The reason is because he loves you and he actually wants your life to change. He wants you to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Okay, so why why would we abide? Why would we do this? If it's hard, it takes work, maybe I'm even listing these things off and it sounds like duty, not delight. Why would you do this? For the same reason that my son Luke is learning to write his letters. Okay, so my son Luke is in kindergarten. He's coming home and he's learning to write his letters. And I am responsible to teach him to write the letters. And so, you know, you just write out all the letters and then he has to write them next to him and I'm not that great of a teacher I laugh when he writes the letters backwards I'm gonna be honest funny I forgot that I used to do that too you guys remember when you would write like you know a p like a nine or whatever and so he's writing all these letters and there's this sense right now in which writing letters is a total duty to him it's just it's just going through the motions he doesn't understand even what those letters represent or what they mean. But one day, the reason that I'm pressing him, that I'm pushing him to write his letters right now, is because one day he's gonna use those letters to write his first love note. Right? One day he's gonna meet that girl of his dreams, hopefully. Maybe not, but hopefully. And, and, he'll, and, and he's going to write her a love note. And you know what? As he's writing that love note, he's not going to be thinking about the letters. He's going to be thinking about her. It's going to be this totally relational, organic thing. But in order for him to write a love note, he first has to go through the pain of learning to draw the letters. And in order for us to grow in our relationship with Christ, we have to first go through the pain of the spiritual disciplines. And I, I'm not there yet, guys. I'm totally not there. But at some point, those spiritual disciplines will become organic. And you will find yourself in a love relationship with the God of the universe. But I'm encouraging you to jump in. Just start taking those elementary steps of learning to be in God's word learning to pray, learning to take small steps of obedience and to submit to his discipline in your life. And here's what's gonna happen. Here's the beautiful thing that's gonna happen. Jesus mentions two of these things in this passage. He mentions love is gonna spring forth from our lives and also joy is gonna come out of our lives. And I mentioned Galatians 5 verse 22 earlier. The fruit of the spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. See, guys, success is a poor substitute for character and deep relationships. What Jesus wants you to have is a depth in your character and a depth in your relationship with him. How can this be? Let me just zoom out just a little bit. When Jesus said the words of John 15, he said them from the upper room, just before he died. Here's how you can be guaranteed that fruit will be produced in your life. It's because Jesus went from the upper room to the cross. And he took on the punishment that your sin deserves. He earned what you deserve. All any of us could ever deserve is punishment for our sin. And Jesus took that punishment on himself. But here's the really good news He's not dead he's alive. The death could not hold him. And so Jesus is alive and he's given his Holy Spirit to us, his church. And he's actually given us the ability to change. Here's the good news. You don't have to try really hard this year. You don't have to put in all this crazy effort trying to earn God's favor. Instead, you trust him. He wants to do it. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this reminder in your word, just this simple reminder that all you want us to do is abide in you. You want us to trust you. You want us to walk with you. You want us to spend daily time with you. You want us to enjoy relationship with you? You want to change us? You want to make us new? And we just want to say yes to you. God, there's just so much resistance inside of each one of us to grace. We want the pride of accomplishment. But we desperately need to be loved unconditionally. So would you teach us just to receive what we're trying to earn? Would you teach us to abide where we're trying to work? And would you just bear fruit in our lives this year? Would you do what we could never do? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.